worked so far, but we're not out yet. I want to know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. I want to know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. Welcome to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm still Bill Bohr. And we are going to talk about self-understanding, self-knowledge. Yeah, but we don't have to actually practice it. No. <laughs> but before we start, I want to play a trivia game with you. All right. I have three quotes. Oh, so you're going to make me look bad in front of our audience. See if you can identify them. One is Nietzsche. All right. One is John Calvin. All right. One is Charlie Sheen. <laughs> okay. The first, how can man know himself? He is a dark and veiled thing. And whereas the hair has seven skins, the human being can shed seven times 70 skins and still not be able to say, this is really you. This is no longer outer shell. Is it Nietzsche? Is it Calvin or is it Charlie Sheen? I don't think it's Calvin. It's not Calvin. You're right. So I'm going to say it's Nietzsche. It is Nietzsche, and you are absolutely correct. Second one, a little tougher. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts— the knowledge of God and of ourselves. That's Calvin. It's book one of the Institute. Book one. There he is. He didn't even, you didn't even have to finish it. You're like, <laughs> all right. Now, the last one, I mean, you don't really have to guess, but I mean, you could have gotten it anyway. You can't process me with a normal brain. <laughs> That's Charlie Sheen. Gosh. Gosh, I'm glad you didn't leave with that because I'd probably go to Calvin for that one. <laughs> Howard Stern actually did a thing one time on a show right when Charlie Sheen was blowing up. Is it Charles Manson or, or Charlie Sheen? And I think of eight or nine questions, I only got half right. Yeah, it was kind of funny. Uh, it does remind me of recently, uh, it was compared to Donald, is this Donald Trump? Remember me? You're <laughs> old me. <laughs> me, are you old me? Yeah, it was hard to tell. Yeah, that's fun. So, um, what, uh, well, you, you uh, were inspired to talk about this uh, why don't you share that with us? Yeah, um, I was reading from the Mockingbird devotional, which if, if anybody is looking for something that's pithy, insightful, 
and promotes kind of gracious self-reflection. I'd recommend the Mockingbird Devotional. Our friend and who's been on the podcast, David's always the author of that entry. And he was talking about a 2011 book called Thinking Fast and Slow by a guy whose name is Daniel Kahneman, who was a Nobel Prize winner for economics in 2002. And he wrote with a guy named Amos Tversky, who I don't know anything about him. But his co-worker Tversky died in 1996. And basically, this guy was not an economist. He was a psychologist and did like psychology research. But I think his Nobel Prize was about how we think in economics, like how we make decisions. Right. And so he wrote this book uh, in 2011 about thinking, like just because he's never done something quite like this about like what the subjective experience of thinking is like and then research based on how we think. And he was so nervous he paid five colleagues $2,000 each to read the book and give feedback. On the first track. I would have read it for a thousand. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, you know, you're a cheap reading date. But <laughs> but they all said keep writing and eventually he um eventually he uh he rewrote the thing and this came out in the final form. And basically the the thesis of his book, and David kinda of talks about the limits of self knowledge, but I so I did some research on this guy and what's really interesting is that he says we have two modes of thinking. One is the fast mode, which is mostly what we do, where you scan stuff, it's involuntary, you react. The second if I, is the slower mode, which if I say, Bill, what's 13 times 12? First off, you have to think, is this a joke? Is it serious? Could I do it you know, on paper? Would I really want to do it? Um, so it's interesting. The, 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 he says the number... Is it 156? It might be. Yeah, okay. Wait, I could carry the... All right, so what I want to do is do an exercise to illustrate the point of thinking fast and slow. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to say silk out loud five times. Silk, 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 silk. What do cows drink? Milk. Water. Ah, here we go. Now it's so... <laughs> so the problem with, with the type 1 brain is that it, it's great because it's fast. Like type 2 brain, which we think is our, is, our, is our real self, right? That's the real subject. We think of like type 2 brain when we're thinking like you knew that 13 times 12 was 156. Yeah, you knew that. So that's like that's the star. That's the real billboard. And type 1 brain, the one that comes up with milk, with cat, that's the supporting actor. But really, type, the type 1 brain is, is actually the one that's driving us most of the time, but it's actually, it's quicker and lazier and more instinctive, reflexive in the kind of thinking process. You know, I, I just also have realized that if you were part of that Columbia University experiment in the 50s, you would have shocked me. Uh, I feel like oh, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would have said, why shock? Stop it shocking. See, Let's make this a model penal colony. See, you know, like, you've, you, I came over here for supper tonight. You fed me. I didn't know that you were going to do these guinea pig things on exactly. me during the podcast. Exactly. And it's, well, the food was good, but your wife cooked it, so you did. That's true. Yeah. I did clean up. That's true, you did. But what I think is interesting is, so, if we're in the 19th century, right, uh, 
people like Nietzsche and, and then Freud late night, or, you know, early 20th century, people think that we don't know ourselves because of repression of deep, dark stuff, psychosexual right. stuff. Now what books like this are showing is maybe we don't know ourselves in a way that's just like almost mechanical or something that, that we've got a process that is driving things so often that we don't know what's going on. Well, yeah, I think there's, you know, at some levels, I mean, there's some, uh, some of the new determinism would say that we, we don't make any willful decisions. Everything is, if you could break it down, if you could actually uh, deconstruct everything, every decision we make that seems to be free will, there's actually reasons for why we do everything that are mostly unconscious or biological. I don't agree with that, but that's certainly there's a wide range of folks who think that way. And most of us are selective determinists. In other words, you know, the things that we enjoy, we do free will. Our shadow side are the dark parts of our lives. Well, I'm, you know, this is because I, right. was, I was, well, how I was raised or this is my biology or whatever. So what Mr. Kahneman also says is he cites a, actually a pretty renowned study, which I knew nothing of until I did some research today, of Israeli parole judges. And so they are, this, this, they are notoriously tough on parolees, but your hope is if they deal with your case after a meal break. Because after they've eaten, your chances really shoot up that they're going to be lenient. And they're not lenient with many people, but but the control factor is once their blood sugar gets back situated, um, you have a better shot at getting parole. <laughs> so in a society where there's so much emphasis on self-examination, in a Christian society where there's so much emphasis on structuring church or whatever based on what people's needs are and what they perceive that they want, What's the implication of this uh, kind of different take on self-knowledge? Well, I would say the implications, if you're leading a mosque, a synagogue, or a church, and you're having one of these kind of leadership direction meetings, make sure people are fed. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if your salary is involved. (laughs) And don't skimp, especially on little things like the roles and things like that. That's really where... You know, that could make a difference between a four-week vacation and a six-week vacation. Wow, that's deep. That's good stuff. You know, I think what you're, what we're dealing with here is that, I mean, at some levels, this is another version of what do we do that actually is free? What, and, and what decisions do we make that are really are dependent on contingencies that we maybe mostly are unaware of? Yeah, and I think that what is interesting to me is I've thought way too much about this today. Is that if you look at Calvin, Calvin thinks the problem with our inability to know ourselves is probably rooted in sin, our own depravity. My favorite theological term, which is Augustine, but concupiscence, which is great at a cocktail party, but just means that we love the wrong things. Right. Nietzsche thinks it's more like we're just lost to ourselves, that we're, you know, what if we peel away all the skins, we're an onion, that kind of thing. But but it's a repression kind of thing, the Nietzschean kind of Freudian move. But the next one is, you know, as we said before, is this kind of, well, maybe it's just 
science is telling us all this stuff's there that we can't think about. But the question is, is like, how much is, and this is what David brings out in his devotional, is it more important to know yourself or be known? Well, I don't know that they're inseparable. For instance, I think, uh, and it also depends on the ground of either or both. In other words, um, what's the ground of being known? And, and what's the ground of self-knowledge? It's, it's interesting. If you, if you look at the biblical story, that's kind of an archetype. Adam and Eve eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in, in chapter 3 of Genesis, and they, the first decision they make is a bad one. We're naked, we feel shame. In other words, they, they have a kind of self-knowledge, but it's grounded only in their self. They, it's not grounded in God. I mean, God's question, I asked them three, you know, three or four questions, and one of those questions, who told you you were naked? And the answer is they told themselves they were naked, and they, they gave themselves shame. If you jump to chapter 18 of Genesis, God's, you know, thinking about going down, looking at Sodom and Gomorrah. It's such a weird passage. But he, God has a conversation with God's self, I guess, and says, well, should we tell Abraham what we're about to do? And God decides, yes, we should, because we've made this covenant with him. And what's interesting in that is... Abraham kind of has the knowledge of good and evil there, and he uses it properly. And when he confronts God and says, should the, the judge of the just deal unjustly? And what's interesting there is, is Abraham deals with the knowledge of good and evil, but does it in the context of his relationship with God. And so Abraham actually succeeds several places where Adam and Noah fail. You know, Abraham intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah as opposed to throwing Eve under the bus like Adam does. Or when God says, no, I'm going to destroy the world. Noah doesn't say, well, no, don't do that. We could say Abraham is like Adam 2.0. Right. And it's, it's, it's interesting because it, in some ways that creates a real problem for a lot of Christian the, the, you know, theologies because it's almost Adam sins. Everything goes to hell until Jesus. But the truth is that Abraham models a kind of, of uh, proper self-knowledge and he, even knowing and being known that's grounded in his relationship with God, which the writer James calls a friendship. By the way, I'm not a parent yet, but I can imagine God feeling like the worst parent ever because when you're new, newborn comes to you naked and says, I just want to eat fruit and be wise and know good and evil. Oh my gosh! I mean, what a terrible parent I am! All the other kids are playing, you know, uh, uh, with Grand Theft Auto 9, and my kids want to eat fruit and be wise. I mean, it's got to be a traumatic thing for the Lord. I don't even know how to respond to that, so I won't. Okay, we can move on. Uh, I think, yeah, I think that that... Here's the trick, I think, of self-knowledge, right? In whatever form it takes, is that I think Calvin's onto something that knowledge of God and self are inextricably linked. But the problem is, like, you... So most of the time we size each other up. Like, we get through the day by judging other people, right? So, like, 
oh my gosh, I feel a little overweight, but thank goodness I'm not as overweight as that person. Or, geez, I'm not that articulate, but I'm not that inarticulate. Because there's stuff in ourselves that we don't want to face. And so you you only really know yourself being in, if God is like, if God is light, but I'm like any light we've ever known, but God really is the light, we're only going to get a full picture of ourselves, the good, the bad, and the ugly in the light. See, I would disagree with you. I, I think the way you describe getting to your day is a way to be bound up in your day. I mean, I think freedom comes from not having to do that. I mean, I know that's what we're getting to in this podcast. You know, Calvin gets his idea, which we quote from Augustine. Sure. Augustine's first Christian. We all get everything from Augustine. Well, again, it all, I, used to tell my, I used to tell my church history students, in church history one, you know, when in doubt say Augustine, right. and you're probably right most of the time. But this, you know, and, and, and I guess it's a soliloquies, what was Augustine's first Christian work? I think it's soliloquies, but I might be wrong. I can't remember what his first Christian work was. But it's, it's in his first Christian work, and I want to know God and I want to know my soul. Yeah. And I do think there's, there might be more optimism in early Augustine than in Calvin on how well you can do that. But to me, that circles back to Adam doesn't ground his self-knowledge. You know, his eyes are open, he and Eve, are, their eyes are open, and the first thing they do is feel shame. Abraham, his eyes are open in the context of his friendship, covenant relationship with God, and he, and he stands up for, for the human race. And I, I think that's, to me, in terms of whether it is to know oneself or be known, in some levels... I, if I know myself in the context of being known by God, then I think the two things are complementary. Yeah, I, I'm not. I, I wasn't. I wasn't uh, being prescriptive with the narration of our day, and not that like you or most people do that. I'm the only person that walks around. No, I know. Too, too, that kind of stuff. But but I think that like the problem is, you you can't. In God, the light and the love are the same, right? So the, so the love disarms the need to have self-delusional kind of stories. So, so for you, loving and knowing, to be known. Yeah, it's to be loved and to be loved is to be known. Uh, on some sense, like you can't really bracket those out. I, I think, I mean, once you really know something well that you really throw yourself into, it becomes beautiful. And once you find something beautiful, really beautiful, you have to know it. You want, have to want, you want to know it. And so I think the challenge is we want to be known, and yet the real knowledge that comes with light and love also makes us smash the idols or put down the defenses. Ones that we've probably gotten through a lot of hard days with. <laughs> no, no, I agree. I mean, you know, you know, it's interesting when you, I mean, that's the thing. To see something, the true appreciation of beauty is to, to look at it, but not try it. To control it. Yeah. There's a great um, old animation movie. Uh, it may have been out in the 80s. I'm not sure. Called uh, The Last Unicorn. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love it. It's a great, it's a great, great soundtrack. And the idea the king wants to capture all the unicorns because yeah. they're beautiful and he doesn't want anyone else to have them. Um, and so I know I, I I agree with what you're saying. Um, you know, uh, speaking of Brother Abraham in this whole as, a, as an archetype of what we should do, uh, Kierkegaard in his book Fear and Trembling, which is 
the only thing I've ever read that makes sense of the Abraham sacrifice mm. Isaac mm. story. And even then, I don't quite understand it or agree with it totally. But uh, in that uh, Fear and Trembling, Kierkegaard says, he who loved himself became great in himself, and he who loved others became great through his devotion. But he who loved God became greater than all. Mm. You know, I think our, our, if you would, popular society is, is totally preoccupied with love of self. And, and some of the more enlightened people have said, well, maybe we love ourselves too much, so we should be more involved with philanthropy. Or maybe lust of self. Well, it could be lust of self. But, you know, so whether it be Oprah or, you know, just today listening to a sports thing, they talk about the one athlete who did some really wonderful things. And there are many athletes who do wonderful things. So, you know, at best, I think what humans can do by themselves is say, well, maybe we should be so preoccupied. So we need to move at least to some love of others uh, and we can become great in our philanthropy. It's kind of like, you know, Schweitzer, uh, when he decided, you know, he looked for the historical Jesus, found him, didn't like him. So he said, let me go serve, at least let me go serve people in Africa as a doctor. I mean, to me, that's the best you can do from a, from a kind of liberal humanist perspective. At least, you know, you know, I will at least give of my life to other people. But for Kierkegaard, uh, he who loved God became greater than all. And so if our self-knowledge and is based on being known, and if that's all grounded in God, then I think that's, that's ultimately, you know, the kind of self-knowledge that sets you free. The self-knowledge only turns upon itself you know, the best that we can be is just, you know, um, you know, a, a, you know, exaggerated sense of ourself. To maybe, with regard to knowledge of self, ignorance is bliss if it leads you to the place where you know that real knowledge of self only comes in light of divine love. Or true enlightenment comes in the light of God's love. Sunset is an angel weeping Holding out a bloody sword No matter how I squint I cannot Make out what it's pointing toward Sometimes you feel like you've lived too long strips worn thin And each time I was someone else And everyone was taken in Powers chatter in high places 
Stir up eddies in the dust of rage Set me to pacing the cage I never knew what you all wanted So I gave you everything All that I could pillage All the spells that I could sing It's as if the thing were written In the constitution of the Up pacing the cage map will not guide you You can't see what's round the bend Sometimes the road leads through dark places Sometimes the darkness is your friend Today these eyes scan bleached out land for the coming of the outbound stage Pacing the cage 